Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me is Rob Hayes. And this is immediately after Leicester's 2-0 defeat at home to Manchester United, which means that we finish fifth in the league. And Rob, we're doing a podcast now with an immediate reaction to the game, talking about what's happened and also what's happened in, in say, the last few weeks. So it's going to be a shorter podcast because we're going to let it die down a bit for the next few days and then come back maybe five or six days later and then do a comprehensive review of the season, a look at all of the players, uh, how they've progressed or digressed this season or, or whatever, degressed, what rich Whatever the word is, I've, I've been honestly, I've been talking all afternoon with the football going on, and um, my mouth words are not working fully as they would probably not normally anyway. Whatever. So um, we're going to do that in a few days' time, maybe about a week or so. Go through all the players, look at where we can improve, what kind of signings we need, a, a full season review. Uh, with a look to next season, which is not long. So that's all going to come. Also, a look with the fancy football and everything, basically, in a few days, because you're going to have a bit of time off, Rob, and we're going to let everything just die down, and then we're going to come back in, say, five days with that pod. But this one is just a look at what happened today. Um, first of all, Rob, hello. I was I was waiting for you to let me get a word in Edgeways. Yeah, everything you've explained there makes total sense. And, and listeners to this podcast, new and old, will know that we prefer to take a little step back and consider things um, in a more sort of objective way uh, most of the time. Uh, but th- there is the small fact that I am jetting off to Malta in the morning, so we wanted to get out something in response to the season-ending performance today against Manchester United. So that's why we're sort of coming together for the first half an hour, well, for, for, for half an hour-ish, something like that. Uh, and then we will, as Pete says, review the season in its wider context a little bit later on. But in, initially, let's. I, I guess we can rewind to just before the game um, and the feelings that most of us were experiencing. I know that we had some interaction on Twitter. I put a picture on of me and my mum and my dad in the front room ready with the clappers and shirts on, etc. And I tweeted that these smiles were hiding the nerves because although it didn't... I mean, it does matter because it's the difference between Champions League and Europa League, but it wasn't like do or die. It wasn't don't win against United and you get relegated or or... It wasn't like a cup final as such, but it was still a big, big game. One of the biggest games in in recent history for Leicester. Um, And I felt very, very nervous. And that feeling did not go away throughout the whole game. Did you have time to process how you were feeling about it, Pete? Or was it just because you were on air for the vast majority of the game? I'm I'm sure you were just sort of had your work head on and were getting through it. uh, And you're now maybe had time to reflect on it on the car journey on the way home, something like that. Yeah, it. A terribly exciting day with the racing going on and, 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 and the football. And 
my producer's a big Watford fan, really big fan, season ticket holder, home and away job. And so I've got that. I've got all the screens with the football on. I've got a vision mixer who's a, a massive uh, Liverpool fan who wanted Leicester to win more than pretty much anything that Liverpool have ever done in their life. He just obviously hates Manchester United. So all in all, it was it was very exciting. And throughout the day, I, I was really calm. Really, I put out saying, oh, yeah, not nervous. And then it slowly got towards kickoff and then became incredibly nervous until the game started. And once the game started, then the nerves went and it was, right, the game's underway, what will be, will be. And also, because of excitement elsewhere... Kind of the attention because it it was it, it wasn't the most exciting game, especially in the first say twenty twenty five minutes. Um, it wasn't the most uh, exciting game in the world because of that. Uh, I could concentrate on the other games where goals were flying in and all that sort of thing. So the nerves about Leicester kind of went away, and also because United pretty much dominated that first half, apart from individual moments and half chances for Leicester um you weren't that nervous I don't know whether that equates to everyone else but because United were dominating so much you my nerves kind of went away because you think well it's you know it's going to end up with it with the United victory obviously then second half it didn't quite work out that way until they scored their penalty so overall incredibly nervous in in a in a sense of it building up to kickoff and then during the game because it's mad you know the, the job I do is 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 pretty mad you're talking constantly about sport what's going on commentating on events that are happening left right and center so you're up to you know you, you kind of alert levels are on 12 to 25 it's you know what i mean it's just nuts and so with all the goals going in in the premier league and Leicester in the predicament that they're in um all the senses were turned up fully and then it kind of petered out because United were, you know, were, were were playing well. So a really exciting day, an interesting day, and probably a day which, when we look at it, it's actually what kind of should have happened when it goes to form, and what we all thought probably might have happened as well. United, they did really dominate, and they got the victory, not at a canter at all, but. Um, not playing their best, and Leicester, they they, they tried, but it, it just didn't work out. And we all know, and it will be said many times, that this season, and the reason we didn't qualify for the Champions League, wasn't because of that game against Manchester United. There were plenty of others. Um, so, yeah, so I think that answers your question, Rob, about... How did you feel up until kickoff? <laughs> it does. Moving moving into the, the game chronologically, then, we, you've touched upon it briefly there. First half... I think it was actually the first half that a lot of that a lot of us would have um, wanted to see, probably, and Brendan Rodgers as well. It was a case of making sure that the occasion didn't overwhelm anybody. It was a case of making sure that we were very much in the game, which I think we were. We weren't getting overwhelmed by Manchester United at all. They were keeping possession more than us, fine. Um, they're always going to when we've got a midfield of Chowdhury and Ndidi and, you know, wing-backs as well, um, like Michael Brighton and Luke Thomas. We were never going to keep the ball for large spells of the game um, playing that formation, and I don't think that was the really the intention. Um, 
but we, we looked relatively settled. We didn't look particularly in, in an awful lot of danger. And that's because of the way we set up and, and we were f- fairly cautious, I'd say. But I tweeted at halftime, steady um, for the first half. And I think that's what it was. And, and what that did was sort of shorten the time period over which we had a chance to affect the game. But it, it, it also had it shortened the time period over which we could lose the game. You know, if you're in the game at nil-nil at half time, you've only get, then got 45 minutes to not lose rather than 90. And and I know that sounds quite pessimistic, but I, I do genuinely think that that's the way we had to go about it, especially after the absolute horror show of the first half against Spurs, which which really wasn't an awful performance and we had chances of our own, but it was just a, uh, the case of the fact that the, the game was already gone from us because we'd let them have a couple of opportunities. And yes, there was a ricochet. Yes, there was uh, uh, some great finishing. Um, but we kept ourselves in the game in that first half. And and I think that eased the tension a little bit for me anyway, watching. I don't know. Obviously, everybody will have gone through different emotions during the game. But at halftime, I thought, OK, well, that's 45 minutes done. That's still nil-nil. It's a good platform to to continue to try and build on. And you've got to remember, until 45 plus one of the Chelsea Wolves game, that was nil-nil. And a Wolves goal there means that Leicester being nil-nil with Manchester United is enough to, to make it into the Champions League. That was one of the other permutations. We weren't playing for a draw. And obviously Manchester United weren't playing for a draw either, really. But both sides didn't want to be losing at half-time, and I think that's that's why we saw it at nil-nil. Overall, the period since the restarts of the football, um, we've been critical, and I think most supporters have been um, singing off the same hymn sheet when they've been critical of selections, also um, style in terms of their approach, Leicester, in certain games. And then also of essentially players' performances and also substitutions. The one thing I'd say with this game is that I would not criticise virtually anything that happened with team selection, which was close to what we said and and and, and proved I think to be to be the right side, even though the result didn't go our way. Um, and I think they were were solid in the first half, and it became apparent that. If we haven't scored early on or we haven't taken the lead through um, a goal of whichever kind, either a breakaway goal or a goal from a corner, it became apparent that we're going to have to defend. And quickly, and I'm thinking the first 10 minutes here, if we're 0-0 at half-time, we've done well. okay, And we got to that stage. And you look what happened at Chelsea. They scored a couple of goals in injury time in the first half. And we very nearly conceded in injury time in the first half. And we did well to get in at nil-nil. And then the team talk would have then changed. Look, Chelsea are winning 2-0. We need a victory. Okay, If they'd gone in at nil-nil at Stamford Bridge, maybe slightly different. And as you said, if Wolves were ahead, again, maybe different. Maybe same same thing here, lads. Carry on as you do. I think the team picked was, was okay and... Justin played well in a back three. Uh, All Brighton came in and, and did a job in that position. And Thomas, as we said, I like how they played Chowdhury um, alongside 
uh, Wilfred and Didi. They needed that because we know how good they are in, in, in midfield and going forward with the, the three up top with Fernandes in behind. And and it worked. It really did work in that first half. And I was relieved when we got in at nil-nil. And we yes, we had a, a few chances, a few half chances where a little bit more composure from outside of the box, it would have been great. And maybe working the goalkeeper more who spilled one shot when Vardy tried to come in and, and grab a rebound, that, that would have been better. And in the second half, there were plenty more where there were snatched chances and Harvey Barnes, for example, and a few others where it was slightly unlucky, a header by Vardy that hit the, the top of the crossbar, the angle with the post. But getting in at half-time, I thought we were solid. I thought the defence was well marshaled. I thought the midfield did drop deep. There was evidently going to be a problem linking the forwards with the midfield, and one person can't do that because their midfield could easily just target Yuri Tillemans and say, well, we've got him sorted. There's nothing else Leicester can do because the two centre-forwards, one of them is going to drop deep in the Acho and then you're going to bring on uh, maybe Perez to have more of a link. And, and that's what happened when you saw Perez coming on. It was going to be for um, uh, for, for, for uh, Kelechi. So, it's um, yeah, I, I, I was relatively happy at half-time because you know you've got 45 minutes to then go and win the game. You know what position you're in and you can then make the changes and also, Rob, we know what happened with Manchester United against West Ham. In the final 20 minutes, they started to blow. And the one thing I, I liked with Leicester is that when they got in at half-time, they then went for it. And also, they played well. In that first, say, 20 minutes of the second half, they had a few chances. They put pressure on Manchester United. But this is a good side we're talking about. A confident Manchester United. And... It would have been disappointing if we carried on in the same fashion in the second half. It was great in the first, but we needed to move up a number of gears in the second. And I thought we did. Overall, I know it's disappointing we didn't win the game, but I think the approach in the second half was good. Um, changes were made, obviously, after their goal. Um, but up until half-time, I was happy. Yeah, I think you're right about the approach in the second half as well. One thing I said to, um, I was watching it with my mum and dad and the other half, and I said, I don't want to go out with a whimper here. Nil-nil's probably not going to be good enough, and we we shouldn't be playing for a draw anyway. But even if Manchester United score, what I don't want is, to, is, is for us to sort of limp along and not really have a go. And I think in certain games, at certain times of the season, Brendan Rodgers has been... Um, questioned by sections of supporters for maybe not making enough of an impact from the bench or not really encouraging the players to move the ball forward a bit quicker. You know, you're talking when you're you're losing games and you're 88 minutes in or something and you're just knocking it around in the back four. I appreciate there's a method to his playing style. I appreciate that he wants to play football, but there are just some times when that ball needs to go forward. But I think... By and large, in the second half, we they knew exactly what the task was um, and they knew that it, it was in their own hands. If they go and win the game, then it doesn't really matter what happens elsewhere. It doesn't matter what Manchester United... Do, as long as you do your job and you score more goals than Manchester United, you're in the Champions League. I mean, and, and essentially, that's the approach that they tried to employ in the second half. I think United are running out of steam on their on their run. Um they're not as good now 
as they were, say, two or three weeks ago. Um, but they were still, what, 13 games unbeaten in the Premier League. Uh, and they were essentially, probably, at the point that we were at in, what, late November, early December, in terms of the momentum of their season. We've had very mirrored seasons, really, Um Sort of kind of symmetrical, but the other the other way. If you if you get what my gist. So first half of the season, we were on that kind of run of form. We had the momentum, we had the confidence, where little things would come off, or you just get that one chance where Martial got himself in between the centre halves. Whereas those kind of opportunities didn't really present themselves to Leicester um, in this game, and haven't really in the second half of the season. It's just that edge that that sort of natural spring that you get from the from the momentum but I don't think this afternoon was for want of trying I think this afternoon second half the players came out and wanted it and I think Brennan Rogers realized that Ianacho was getting into some good positions uh, but he wasn't always making as, as as good a use of the ball as he could. And we know Perez, especially in more central positions, has shown that he can use the ball really well. So that was a positive change to make that so early in the second half. And then there were times when Brendan Rodgers was talking to somebody like Dennis Pratt to come on before the Manchester United goal. So I think that was always in the back of his mind, that kind of change. It obviously then the time forced his hand there when, when the penalty was scored. Um but again, it was a positive. It was three substitutions. I thought Tielemans was blowing a little bit in central midfield. A lot of responsibility for him to shoulder to try and keep Leicester moving forward when Chowdhury and Ndidi are more destructive and then lay it off to somebody else kind of midfielders. You know, Barnes and Gray came on. Barnes as, as a double award winner from the end of season awards. And Gray's had an impact from the bench since the um, since the restart. So all very positive changes. And I, and I think pretty much, by and large, that group of players that were on that field today and the manager did everything they could, really, to try and win the game. And, and ultimately, yes, the feeling afterwards is is a feeling of disappointment because the first half of the season promised a lot. Um, and this result, uh, especially with Schmeichel getting tackled on the edge of his own box and Jesse Lingard scoring, which we will come on to because it's got a bit of a personal impact on UP. Um, it was it was a 2-0 d- uh, defeat, and it means that we finished fifth when we could have finished third or fourth. But if you take it as Leicester have finished fifth in the Premier League, the second highest ever l- league finishing uh, since the Premier League era, then you go, ah, okay. And on top of that, we gave it a decent go. And with four key players missing, it wasn't it wasn't dire, was it? It wasn't, and we're also on top for me. And again, I'm I'm looking at it every thirty seconds or so, every minute. So if this is slightly off, but in that second half, I thought Leicester had more possession inside the Manchester United half. They created more half chances, no real glaring miss, golden opportunities, etc. But that they had the chances that were half chances, but they were building pressure. And I can understand why maybe substitutions weren't made earlier. I know they brought um, Perez on, which was an obvious change, but they didn't make the Barnes, the Pratt, the Grey substitutions before the goal went in. 
And I can understand why, because the game was not going for Leicester, but they were more in the game. And then you get to the stage with about 20 minutes to go. And I know I'm normally the person who highlights substitutions as being too late, but I thought that was pretty much bang on the time when you would then have made the changes. The thing is, that's when the goal went in and the penalty was scored. Um, was it a penalty or not? When two players go in on a centre-forward, as they did, it's going to be given. Was there a slight touch by Johnny Evans first? Possibly. Was it an error beforehand by Chowdhury getting dispossessed? Yes, and it was unfortunate, but it happens, and then they scored the penalty. Um and then you're one behind and then you have to make the subs and you have to try and go and get the, the equaliser and the eventual winner and bring it on Hurst at the end for Thomas. But it it was it was annoying the fact that it was an error. And I've been saying and we've been saying that Chowdhury should be playing uh, before today, should have had more game time. So was he was he sloppy? Yes. Was it down to the lack of game time? No, because it's after 70 minutes of a football match. So if it was the first few minutes, maybe you could say that. Um, so it was disappointing there. Uh, and then you go a goal behind and and then they have to push. Uh, and then late on, it was it was a shame with Johnny Evans. It was, um, I think it was a straight red card because he had already been booked and it looked nasty straight away. It looked a red in real time. Slow-mo, there's one replay which was shown a few times, which it maybe looked quite harsh, but it was from a different angle. But in real time, it, it looked. And he put his hand up straight away. Uh, and then, obviously, they scored late. And to be honest, by then, it didn't really matter. So, yes, it was an error by Schmeichel, but the, we needed three points and we weren't going to get it. Um, the, the fact that the squad was so stretched will come on to when we do the full review at the end and we know the players who are missing but when you do look at the um when you do look at the, the the bench or should i say when you look at the stands when the camera panned and you see ricardo pereira sitting a couple of seats down from carlos onchu and then you've got james madison and also ben chilwell and you look at those three uh, four players and realize the transfer value of those four players is north of two hundred million pounds. In fact, you're probably talking two hundred and fifty million pounds actually for those four players. That's a huge miss, and we really missed today all of them, obviously. But for me, the one player we we, we did miss was James Madison because we missed the, the link between midfield and attack. It just wasn't there, and and it's and and that's a huge shame. Which again, we'll come on to. Um, in the in the following podcast but in that second half as soon as the goal goes in they were always going to chase and they did and, and they have to and it was just a shame we didn't have that one chance that guiltish chance and and maybe a bit of luck maybe a deflection that goes in which has gone against us in recent games and you know there has been a, a, a little an element of bad luck along with poor play as well but at no real stage throughout the game you were I don't know about you Rob but I don't think I was very confident that we were going to score. You know, you get that feeling. It's building, it's building, it's building, and then and then they score. It. I never got that. I I like the way that they played in the first half, and they gave themselves a chance. And then in the second half, they were more attacking. There was more intent, but I never felt like they were going to actually get the goal. Maybe 
if it was nil-nil going into the last 10 minutes and then it all becomes a bit more rushed, a bit more route one, a bit more direct and who knows what could happen in any game. But I, did you feel at any way in the second half that they were going to get the first? Not really. I was I was never totally convinced that we... I was I was never totally convinced that the players believed that they were going to score um, really because when you look at the chances there was such a lack of conviction in every attempt. And a stat flashed up um, during the game. Leicester total attempts eight, Manchester United total attempts five. And you're thinking, oh, okay, they're decent. But when the the next stat flashed up and it was shots on target, one each. And I think that's a story of the, the form in the second half of the season, really, where where somebody like Vardy would only need one chance to convert it and score in a game. It was two or three. All right, maybe not so clear cut a chance, but the goals have have dried up a little bit. And I think for that reason, I was never totally convinced that we were going to score today. There was, there was times when I had my head in my hands, but not necessarily because of a near miss, more like a, a, a little bit of what on earth have you done there kind of thing because you know Ian Acho had the right footed shot from the edge of the penalty area in the first half he never looked like he for a second like he wanted to hit it with his right foot Tielemans tried to place one very very carefully into the bottom corner which I don't think had enough pace to beat De Gea if it was on target it was a good effort but you know Barnes on the turn in the six yard box yes another difficult skill but it just lacked conviction for me and it lacked that final bit of clinical edge which you felt was much more likely to come from Manchester United in a game where the ball spent a large majority of the time in the central third. Yeah, and I'm under no illusion that Manchester United were getting slightly nervous and were at points in that second half. They are in control in the first half, but I, I, think, I think they were. And... If we had maybe a full team and an option from the bench and something which we will definitely need next season, then then we could have really put pressure on them. I just think with the team that we had out and looking at the game now, unless we really threw extreme caution to the wind with, with their forward line, it's not like they've got a big lad up top and they... And you're going to try and leave yourself open to maybe a ball forward high in the... No, no, they, they would... if If we completely changed our formation and style of play early in that second half to really put pressure on the Manchester United goal, we would have been picked off at the back because they would have kept them three forwards on the field and, and I'm under no illusion they would have gone and, and scored before they did. And so when you look at back at the game, you can't be critical of Leicester not going more gung-ho for the win early in the second half. I don't think that's a, a, a sensible case when you're playing against Manchester United. After the goal goes in, yes, quick, make the change. And they did, straight away. No messing. The three players coming on and and then it it, it was all action. Tackles going in, resulting in obviously in red cards, etc. But it, it was then high octane. You've got to go and score the two goals. Um, that's just the way it is. Sometimes you get a side towards the bottom of the league, mid to lower table, say, taking on a really good team in the Premier League. And towards the midway stage of the second half, 
they know that well, actually whatever they they do, they're not actually going to score or get into this game with a view to winning it. Unfortunately, with the team that we put out, we are that team in that position because we're missing all the you know a lot of our best players and and I think the team at the moment is probably a mid table Premier League side that's in the Premier that, that that we're putting out onto the field. Add the players that we've got who are missing, then we become top six, fifth in the league, for example. We get late on and it all becomes a bit of a mess. We realise in the last five minutes we're not going to win the game. We're trying our hardest still. And then it gets messy. The red card is messy. Um and then and then they score at the end, which which we'll come on to now, Rob. Um, Lingard scores. It was a mess by Schmeichel, but in the end, if you're ever going to concede a goal, that's the most meaningless goal to concede. The game's over. It's not cost us anything at all. Even if in the 98th minute it's been put down as, even if Schmeichel kicks long and we score within the next 10 seconds, the ref would have blown his whistle. So even if that happened... In the unlikely event, we still wouldn't have got Champions League football. But Lingard scores, he pinches the ball off him and knocks it into an empty net, Rob. Yes, and in the aftermath of that game, uh, I went on my phone to put a little tweet out from for Fox 6. I knew you'd be either driving or, or on your way to your car to get home from work. Um, and I noticed a couple of the WhatsApp groups that you and I are both part of going a little bit mad and mainly laughing at you. And I'm thinking, I've got no idea what's going on here. And I'm scrolling through to make sure I've not missed anything slightly earlier on in the chat or maybe from this morning or something like that. And and somebody's saying something about the last minute and I'm thinking, well, it's got nothing to do with Leicester because really what happened in the last minute of the Leicester game has no bearing on anything whatsoever. Um, I looked at last minute goals that had happened in the Premier League nothing really stood out that would that would cause people to be mocking you so so gleefully some of them um and then i looked at your twitter and i saw a um a particular bet that you'd placed and then it all fell into place note please Pete before you explain the story that i was not one of the people that was giving you any stick on whatsapp no you weren't and um my phone, I think it's recovered now because it genuinely melted as soon as the goal went in. Now, for a job, many people will know that, um, that we obviously commentate down at the King Power Stadium when we're allowed in. Um, but also, I'm a I'm a sports broadcaster, uh, mainly in the betting industry, and um, and so you know you have a bet this, that, and the other. You know the game, but. Um, Last season, there was a one particular stat which stood out for Jesse Lingard last season where he actually didn't do anything for Manchester United apart from in a weird three-game spell during December where he scored a few goals, etc. But away from that, he didn't do a single thing. He never scored a goal. He never assisted. He, and when he played, he was poor. And so before the season started, there was a particular firm who put up a market regarding Jesse Lingard not doing anything this year, not scoring or, can, or assisting a goal. And the price was sixty-six to one, which I shoved an Ayrton center on, and then um, watched after month after month. And obviously, the season's taken a full year nearly. Um, Jesse Lingard had not assisted a goal or scored a goal for Manchester United. We then restart the season 
after lockdown. And by then, Greenwood's long overtaken him in the first team. And he's hardly coming off the bench. He's playing and scoring goals in the FA Cup, but that's fine. This is a Premier League only. And I'm thinking, this this bet's, this is pretty much in here. He came off the bench against Crystal Palace late on and a bit nervy there. But there's no way he's going to come off the bench at the King Power. They're winning 1-0. So why would he come off the bench? And then there he is. See, at the 77th minute, he comes on from, <laughs> from Mason Greenwood. So I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh my God, you know, here we go. And um, and anyway, 98th minute, as soon as the ball went to Schmeichel, I just said loudly, he's going to he's gonna tackle him. Because we've seen Schmeichel, he, he's not just going to boot it long. He's going to want to bring it forward 20 yards out the box and then go for the killer pass into the penalty area. Pro- probably actually the better thing to do rather than just kicking it just past halfway. Of course, he gets this gets tackled. Lingard rolls it in. Q, absolute bedlam. Everyone had seen this bet. I'd put it on Twitter before saying, "Hey, have a look at this. What do, what do we all reckon?" Just as a bit of a bit of a laugh, really. And then it there was just a meltdown of replies going. I mean, it is unbelievably unlucky. Let's just throw it out there. And it also is really funny because straight away I was laughing, going. A whole season, and in the 98th minute of the last game, he scores. <laughs> I mean, how how unlucky can you be, really? But, you really um, couldn't write that kind of thing, could you? You and you, you've taken that quite well to say that you were laughing at it. I know it's technically you've only lost a tenner, but you have missed out on 670 quid at at that moment in time. Yes, and 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 and, it, and then of course it melted. You know, as soon as someone re this is the thing of viral tweets. And all that sort of thing. Like, how does it work? Well, you know, one person retweets it, and then it just steamrolls. And um, and yeah, the twenty plus notification just stays there. However many times you you press it, and um, so yeah, so and and that was the that was the situation. Until about I'd say half an hour after the game, when I'm halfway back up the M1, coming back to for Fox Eight HQ, and to do this very podcast. So you're talking probably about. 40 minutes ago, say 45 minutes ago, um, the news came through that the particular firm in question are actually going to pay the bet out as a winner. So, winner, winner, chicken dinner. They, they, they do it as a... They'll obviously work out how much money it's going to cost them and what's the benefits in terms of publicity, etc. Which, because tweets like mine, etc. have gone viral, it's going to be... Um, very well rewarded with people then using that particular firm. So overall, it's actually come in. So as much as when I started this podcast, I couldn't string two words together because I've been talking all afternoon. I've then got the emotion of Leicester and then I've got the emotion of a silly bet from pre-season losing and then winning. And well, you know, there you go. It's a roller coaster. Bet carefully, everyone. But bet with passion. (laughs) You you almost sound like you have been working in or for betting firms for a long, long time. There, Pete the Bookie is a, is an early nickname that I remember some people calling you by when we first met. What seven years ago? Um, it's it's a great story, but also you you've covered you covered yourself by betting in play on Lingard to to score. Did you not? Yeah, uh, again, uh, w- when I when I worked 
um, solely in the betting industry when, again, when we first met, when we were starting out on commentary careers and, and broadcasting careers at the time. Um, I, I generally worked behind the counter. So if you work, walked into, uh, you know, a local uh, betting shop, then you would you, you would see me. Now you would hear me and, 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 and see me on the screens. So it's all it's all kind of changed. So that's where that nickname came from. But um, yeah, so so these these things are easily some people say laid off or bet against. And the situation was Lingard comes onto the field of play with thirteen minutes to go. I can't do anything about an assist because there are certain firms who pull up assist markets, but they only do it with two or three players, and he wasn't there. The only thing I can do is bet for him to score the next goal. And you're going to get a decent price because there's only 13 minutes to go. And you're going to get a decent price because it's Jesse Lingard and he hasn't done anything for about 10 years, etc. Hence the reason the first bet was there. Um, so I, I, I shoved a few quid at 20 to 1 uh, to cover the bet, essentially, you know. Um, so even if he does score next, then um, it's not the end of the earth. So when he does score, I, I kind of sat back a little bit... Uh, you know, down in the dumps because he's scored against Leicester and I've not covered the whole amount, but I've still made a nice packet and also um, covered the fact that it would have been a real kick in the orchestra as if I didn't do that. So, yeah, and that's just being sensible. That's just being a little bit proactive and looking at the situation and being sensible. But again, I suppose that comes with working in the industry for so long. And, and again, and also protecting your own interests you know not having the ability to just let things ride and seeing what happens you know you want to actually have a few quid if you're in the fortunate position that you can um guarantee that so yeah um happy days all around on on a sad day because we didn't get champions league football but and i I, and i also and i i really do keep football and because again you know betting's betting it's a bit of fun and you've got to keep it that way but i really really do keep them separate i i have one head for that and one head for football i never really punt leicester at all absolutely because i don't like to you know win lose or i just i just don't like to but the rest of it you have to have one head which is sensible and then the other one the heart really is the football which is what we do with this podcast we tell everyone what we're thinking what we feel and and what we really think and um and that's different to placing the bet you have to be i i treat it as a as fun but also fairly seriously as well do you know what i mean you you got to sit down and give it a good bit of thought and 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 hopefully come out on top so yeah absolute roller coaster day um and again it, it just a just a bit of fun really i need to what i need to do immediately after this podcast is then go on twitter and social media and tell everyone who keeps on there's a lot of people saying unlucky and all this but there's quite a few united fans with gifts of lingard and all that um and and laughing which i'm quite readily now going to reply to each and every one with you know a chiching or something along them lines <laughs> you deserve to sit back this evening after the after the crazy day you've had and enjoy your curry, have a couple of beers, and just get on the social media and stick two fingers up at all the people that are laughing at you because you're a double winner. Um, shall we end on a positive then, on a, on a winning note, shall we? Um, there was another thing at stake today on, on the pitch, uh, and that was the Premier League's golden boot. And despite Aubameyang scoring twice for Arsenal and Danny Ings scoring once for Southampton... And Jamie Vardy not scoring for Leicester. He has done enough to be the outright winner of 
the golden boot. The oldest player ever in the Premier League to do it and the oldest player in the top flight for, what, 70-something years. Um, first Leicester player to win the golden boot. Second Englishman to win the golden boot in the Premier League as well, which I found very, very interesting. So in a season that we will reflect on in more detail in in the next week or so, on a personal note for Jamie Vardy to finish off, he's a winner today. He's, he's got the Golden Boot Trophy. He is the Premier League's top scorer. And for a man that's come from virtually nothing in football so late and has come close to the Golden Boot a couple of times, to win it is a terrific achievement for him. It is. It's, on a personal level, It's it gives me great satisfaction and great pride in the fact that We've got a Golden Boot winner, if you take it as it is, just in its own rather than the whole club and where they finished in the league. It's it's an amazing reward for a fantastic player on the back of Players' Player of the Year and Supporters' Player of the Year. And this, which he should have won really when we won the league, uh, is just rewards and desserts for, for his season. He's had a, an amazing campaign and it does throw up obviously all sorts of problems when it comes to signing forwards because you've got a number nine who's scoring 20-odd goals in the Premier League, which is never a problem, but it, it is, and Leicester fans know where I'm coming from with that, and we'll be discussing that in future pods. But a great reward for Vardy. Um, it, and also, it, it, it kind of um, put an, it puts another line and, and, a, and a full stop under the reason why he stayed at Leicester as well. Would he have won trophies elsewhere? Who knows? Would he have gone on to bigger and better things elsewhere? Who knows? But he can look back on his time at Leicester and see he's got that golden boots. And again, you, you throw it in the equation of all the all the players this season, the Aubameyangs. We know Danny Ings had a great year. I didn't know he scored today, actually. I've just checked. Yeah, 3-1. And um, Aubameyang, all that Liverpool have done and none of their players has beaten Jamie Vardy. The goals that Manchester City score. Harry Kane, who has been injured for a long time, half of that was during the lockdown anyway. So Harry Kane scoring goals. Um, he's beaten a very good field, and he's won the Golden Boot, something that all Leicester fans should be proud of, and I'm sure that they are. And once the, the, settle, the dust has settled on the season, it will be something to, to really look back on, and it will be one of the many highlights of his career. Not entirely sure about uh, the photos of him standing with the trophy with a big Cabris logo on the front. I'm not entirely sure that's uh, that should be applied to a Golden Boot trophy. But uh, yeah, great satisfaction. Really wanted him to win it. And um, and fingers crossed he wins it next year, Rob. Fingers crossed. It's nice to end on a positive, isn't it? One more positive from me. Uh, I am off to finish my packing because I'm flying to Malta in the morning. Uh, a job for you, the listeners, I guess, over the next few days. We're hoping to release our end of season um review uh at the, in the following weekend so in about six days time from now round about the the first uh, first or second of august um so we'd like to hear your thoughts on the, the season overall give yourselves a few days by all means to calculate your thoughts um let us know if there's anything that you'd like our opinion on that's happened this season uh, that you'd like us to talk about we will as we traditionally do go through every player in detail in terms of how we'll rate their season out of 10 um, whether we think that they'll be useful in the squad next season that kind of thing so anything at all that you'd like to discuss um, or us to discuss on the podcast um, do let us know via the usual channels at, at FFS pod on Twitter you can search for Fox 8 podcast on Facebook 
or if your contribution is going to be slightly lengthier, please feel free to type it out in an email for foxsakepodcast at gmail.com. We've got loads that we will talk about, but if you've got stuff that you want us to talk about as well, then please do get in contact over the next week. Yes, make sure you tell us your season highlights, the low points, where it changed, what you remember of the season and you'll take forward and particular players as well, who's maybe the young sung hero and who you're looking forward to seeing next season, and maybe players that you you don't want to see next season. Where would you improve the squad? Whereabouts does it need improving? And maybe some players out there who you've seen who you think that maybe would be a good fit, or the like of which would be a good fit. Get in contact again, just like Rob said, at FFS Pod on Twitter. Find us there. If you go on Facebook, type in for Fox 8 Podcast and give us a like, and you can find all the details and also reply and get in contact. But also, and mainly the email would be a good reason to use this time around for fox8podcast at gmail.com. Get in contact, have a few days to think about it, like Rob said, and then send us, even if it's just one player out there, you think, how about this guy? And that's the message. Fine, do it. Just get in contact and we'll make a big end-of-season review in the next six days. Once Rob's got back, fingers crossed, Rob, even though you'll be able to uh, do the podcast anyway, that you don't have to spend two weeks inside, though. I probably will need to spend two day, uh, two weeks inside, rather, because it's going to be 30-odd degrees, and I'm an incredibly pale man. So maybe I will have to do some um, sun-dodging or shade-bathing uh, in the two weeks that I'm back, but hopefully not for anything uh, COVID-related. Well, if you do, Rob, and you have to spend 14 days quarantine, then at least we can do a few more podcasts. But I'm looking forward to the end-of-season review. Next weekend, everyone out there, get in contact. Let us know what you think. And let's celebrate Leicester in Europe next season and what a season it's been. It's been a long season. It's been a successful season. And we'll see you next week.